Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bienvenidos, señores y señores, to another episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast. This episode of the Bleed Lows Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games are available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use our mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. And joining us on the Cañasada is one of my favorites. He is the maestro of the bronca. He writes the columns that actually make you think. And he make, he asks the questions that you guys want to ask, but you guys don't have the balls to do it. And that is Dylan Hernandez. Dylan, ¿cómo estás, amigo? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for the very uh, generous introduction there. I don't know if it's the <laughs> stuff as you say, but it's a nice hey, introduction. I, I've been in. The, I've been there, Dylan. I know how people they they get a little nervous when they see you coming around. Like, what is he going to ask? What is he going to ask? Yeah. They're legit questions. Yes, yeah, yeah, and that's what we're kind of trying to get to the bottom of, right? I mean, especially kind of right now in this era of you know team operated media and stuff. So much of what you get is just uh, you know, and, and right, and they you know as a result, I think they feel they can restrict a lot of access. So. You know, uh, any opportunity you kind of have to maybe peek behind the window, right behind the curtain, that's at least what we're trying to do. So, and, and that's the reason why I love having you on the show because you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes it's like people tell us what the team wants to hear, and look, look we need to hear a different opinion. You wrote an excellent piece uh, on Shohei Otani, and so there's been some updates to it. And right. so I want to address those with you right. because, look, we want to have Dylan on the show because when it comes to Shohei, Dylan's the only guy I trust. As much as Justin uh, Verlander's brother wants to say that he has inside information that the Angels probably leaked to him, Dylan is the guy that I trust when it comes to Otani. So, Dylan, when Perry Maniason comes out here and starts telling everybody, oh, you know, we we – we were going to do an MRI, but Otani, you know, declined it. How much of that damage control and is anyone buying that? Yeah, I think it's actually true, right? Um, and actually, this goes to actually the point that I was making, which is that, you know, in this relationship between the between the Angels and Otani, Otani just told them what he was doing, right? Um, you know, and so... You know, they, they had kind of created this relationship where, and to me, this actually shows, this actually really emphasizes the point that I was trying to make, which is that the Angels kind of lost control of this beast, so to speak, right? And now, don't get me wrong, right? The players of a certain caliber, it's hard for a team to tell them what to do, right? And if you think, you know, that the Dodgers have any more control of Clayton Kershaw than the Angels have over Otani, I'd be telling you, like, well, it's probably not the case, Right. Um, you know, and the thing is with in Otani's case, again, we have to kind of go back six years here to when he first made the decision to come to the major leagues. And, you know, right. I think when he chose the Angels, a lot of us were like, what the, you know, right? why is he? I can cuss on this, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Like, we were like, what the fuck, right? And <laughs> why would he pick the Angels? And I think that as time went on, we it became very clear why he did. He chose the Angels because his priority was to play both ways. And the reality is, is that a lot of the other teams uh, that were here, right, in the major leagues weren't totally sold on him, especially as a hitter. Um, you know, my understanding, actually, that in Otani's head, it was kind of the opposite, that he thought he was a better hitter than he was a pitcher and that he thought that he, he needed his bat to buy time for his arm. Right. Uh, but either way, like he wanted to go to a place that was going to be as committed to making him a two way player as he was. And. So he went to a team, frankly, that wasn't very good, 
right? And, you know, because if he had gone to the Dodgers, and I don't know if you guys remember, but I think that first spring training, his ERA was like seven. Uh, yeah. He batted like under 200. Um, you know, that's what Francesa, Francesa was saying. Thank God the Yankees didn't get this guy. This guy's going to be the biggest bust in the world. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if he's on the Dodgers at that point, he might get optioned. Right. Yeah. And if he's not, you know, it could have been a case of like, hey, like we want you to be part of the rotation, but we don't think you can hit or we think you can hit, but we don't think you can pitch or whatever it was. You know, the Angels, you know, especially the Dodgers as a, you know, as a perennial contender had kind of the weight to say that, right? Because it's like, hey, like, look, we're trying to play for a playoff spot here. We don't have time to be, like, dicking around with your little, like, side project here. Uh, what were the Angels going to do, right? And, you know, it's very important, again, to also remember that when he was in Japan and he broke in with the Nippon Ham Fighters, um, they were kind of in a similar situation as the Angels kind of were, right? You Darvish had just left. They were in this kind of complete rebuild. And it took him a few years to kind of find his footing as a two-way player. And by the time he was kind of, like, ramped up and ready to go, uh, the young players around him in that rebuilding project were now ready to contend and they went on and won, the, won a championship. My guess is that that's what he envisioned for his time with the Angels is that, okay, but, you know, it's going to take me a few years to figure this out. But when I do, the team will also be kind of on, you know, um, on the rise and we can contend. Now, that part didn't happen, right? Um, you know, but I do think that, like, you know, as time kind of went on and the Angels were just so invested in, again, making him like this two-way guy because, frankly, they didn't have much else going for them, um, right? Once the stat, you know, and it's, this is, happens in human relationships too, right? You, you know, right, in the way you talk to your kids, your wife, I mean, it's, these are patterns that get developed over time. And once a relationship is kind of established and the rules of engagement are in place, it's hard to redo that. And so it had kind of gotten to this point where like, yeah, like Otani's clearly the driver in this thing. Right. And, you know, so, yeah, it came out, you know, I do think that the angels, they were taking a lot of heat, you know, uh, my suspicion is that, you know, the one thing about the angels is clearly they want to resign Otani. Um, they have been very, very careful in what they've said about Otani. Right. You know, the one thing that's I think really fascinating is Otani will not talk about like, his routine what does he do every day right uh the weird thing is about this is that you ask anybody in the angels organization they won't tell you either right and so there's kind of this like okay otani doesn't want this out there so we're not going to put it out there they are very very careful with how they talk about it right um you know phil nevin who for the most part is kind of like a fairly straight shooter i think you know, I mean, we saw him at the dugout kind of explode the other day and post game saying, hey, this isn't good enough. Um, again, kind of the one area where he speaks very carefully is about Otani. They do not want to rock that boat. So when I see Manassian saying this, that's telling me that Otani probably gave him the, hey, you know what? You guys have been taking a lot of heat over this. Obviously, in the end, I was responsible, you know, um, so you can put it out there that like I declined. Um, you know, this opportunity to undergo an MRI exam. Now, that does in some way, you know, Otani's basically shouldering part of the blame here. At the same time, that doesn't change this reality that the Angels weren't in position to tell him, no, you know what, like something doesn't look right until you take an MRI. We're not going to let you pitch again, for example. They, they were not in position to do that, right? Again, because of the way their, established, their relationship had been established already. So to me, you know, again, I think when I look at that, to me, it's like a nice gesture, I think, on Otani's part, where, you know, he feels a certain amount of gratitude, I would imagine, to the Angels for having, you know, created the conditions to let him become the player he is right now. I mean, th this isn't all bad, by the way, right? Because because of this long leash that he was given, he was able to have a three-year stretch that's been unprecedented in baseball history. Trust me, because if he's with the Dodgers, there is no way he's a two-way player at that at the level that he is right now. There's just no way it happens, right? And with a lot of other teams, I don't think it happens. So I think that that was kind of the, you know, again, Japan, it's very much like an obligation-based society, right? You know, people are very conscious of, you know, favors that were done to them and they feel the need to repay and stuff. And I, to me, I look at this and it's like Otani is basically saying, hey, you know what? Put some of the blame on me. Now, again, to me, though, that doesn't change this larger issue that basically the Angels kind of lost control of this thing. And at some point, I do think you are the employer, you know, 
it is kind of your job to be in control of things. And they just kind of weren't in control here. Uh, we're talking to the most feared journalist in, La- in Los Angeles, and he wrote an excellent piece on on Shohei Otani's injury and the relationship with the Angels, which I suggest everyone check it out. Look, guys, come on, it doesn't hurt to read. It's for your be- it's for your health. Just pay whatever the dollar or two dollars it is to to get the subscription and read the L.A. Times. Uh, Dylan, it's it's interesting that you 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 mentioned that. So so Ben Verlander is sitting here saying that he's got inside sources telling him that this injury is not that bad. Now they haven't decided yet if they're going if he does need surgery, but if he does, this is going to be his second UCL. And everything that you're doing, first of all, have you heard anything? Do we know how bad this this second injury is? Uh, so we don't know the severity. Again, I think what we have heard, and you know, I think, and Ben put this out there too, is that it's in a different place, right? It's not the same exact injury. Um, now, so when they're saying, okay, they haven't decided on a course of action yet, right? Um, it could be bad, right? I mean, my guess is, okay, so if surgery isn't like 100%, that means it's probably not like a complete tear, right? Now that said, that would be like a pretty disastrous scenario. Like most of these tears are not complete tears, right? They're part, right? Things are partially torn and you kind of sew the stitch the thing back together. Um, you know, and again, I'm going to go back to the 18 thing, right? So early in the season, Otani goes down with elbow problems. Uh, he opts for PRP treatment and then he came back and he blew out. Um, you know, and it could be a case again where, you know, he's thinking, okay, I'm going to be 30. Um, you know, I'm not in a position right now to like basically spend a year not pitching at all if I want to remain a two-way pitcher. Uh, so maybe let's do the PRP and hopefully that kind of works out, you know, and if it does, right, and I can keep pitching, great, right? I haven't really lost all too much then. Uh, so my guess, that's my guess. Uh, again, I'm not basing this on anything that I know. That's just kind of my guess as to why they haven't quite taken that next step yet, right? And he has, again, his history has been one that he didn't undergo surgery in 18 until he had to, right? He went with the PRP option first. So my guess is that they're going to explore that, you know, as much as possible, as long as, you know, my guess is if he's told, like, hey, this is, there's no way you're, you're right, your ligament is going to hold up. You're going to Tommy John no matter what, uh, you know, by postponing it and by doing the PRP thing, all you're doing is delaying your return by like, right, six months, eight months, whatever. Uh, then my guess is that he's going to wind up going undergoing surgery. But my, you know, again, I think that if there's probably a possibility that he might be able to kind of PRP his way through this thing, right? And, you know, that's the thing, right, is that bodies kind of react, respond differently to everything. You know, uh, Takashi Saito, remember when the Dodgers let him go? Uh, he was the first, he was patient zero, by the way, on PRP, <laughs> right? And he came back to pitch in the playoffs. I think that was in 08, right, against the Cubs. Yeah. And, you know, um, and that was the thing, right? They thought he was obviously the Dodgers let him go because they thought like, well, you know, this guy's elbow's done and he wound up pitching 10 more years. So weird things like that happen, right? I mean, there are certain pitchers, you know, you hear about, um, you know, because at that point, nobody's arm is normal, right? You pitch that many innings at the professional level. Um, some guys look, right, they, you look into their shoulders and it's like, man, I, there's no way this guy can pitch. And somehow it kind of works out. So, you know, there's kind of that miracle possibility. My guess is that that's what he's holding out for. You made a very compelling argument right now on the show, and I think in your piece also. I'm curious if you got any pushback, because I know when people first heard about your piece, they were like, why would this improve the Angels' chances of re-signing him? How can you trust a guy? How can you trust an organization that has now allowed you to get hurt like this? Or like you said in your article, didn't protect you against yourself. But it sounds like what you're telling me, Dylan, is... He runs the show, so it's better. What's the saying? The devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And I don't yeah. want to mix metaphors here between the angels and the devils. But <laughs> here's the, th- but I mean, here's the thing, right? Is that not a compelling argument for him to resign with the angels, knowing that I can do whatever the hell I want in this organization? Yeah, and that's kind of the thing, right? Is I think that, and you know, it's hard to kind of tell where Otani's mind is and where his priorities are because he doesn't very, say stuff very much, right? And so, you know, there have been two, I think, in the last six years, like two times he's really spoken. One time was actually before he came from Japan. He held a press conference in Tokyo, and you know, he got asked, for example, your goal, you know, is to be the best, best baseball player in the world. 
Um, he got asked about a World Series. He says, well, you know, to uh, be the best player in the world, I think winning a World Series is a prerequisite for that. And the other thing he said that was very interesting was, you know, he got asked, um, how much will you insist on being a two-way player? And he talked about, right, because right, right now we're looking at this and we're like, yeah, it all worked out, whatever. But you know what? At the time, even in Japan, there was a lot of resistance to this idea, right? Kind of the goose gossages of Japanese baseball, <laughs> the Hall of Famer, you know, get off my lawn, guys. No, seriously, right? We're like saying that this is disrespectful to the other players that you would even try this, right? Mm-hmm. And really, it was a small group of people at the Nippon Ham Fighters who were like, you can do this and we're going to support you to do this. Right. So what he said at that time, and this was in late 2017, uh, before he got posted, he said, you know, I don't feel like that's just mine anymore. The, the, the whole two way thing. Right. I feel basically, you know, I think what he was trying to say was that he felt that he owed it to the people that helped him realize that vision to continue to do that. Right. That this is his way of saying thank you to them. And so and again, like when he came over here again, I think it was very clear he went to an organization that was going to let him play both ways. Now, in the interim, what's happened, right, in 20, late September of 2021, uh, the Angels had lost like 50 billion games in a row again, spiraling <laughs> out of control. Um, things got so bad there, right? Trout was hurt. Uh, Otani was leading the league in home runs, and then they basically just stopped pitching to him because there was no one else in the lineup. So he didn't even win the home run title. And kind of at the apex of his, like, fury, he unloads and says, I like it here. I love the fans. However, my desire to win is stronger, right? So we have these two things, right? One is that clearly he does want to be a two-way player, uh, but also he wants to win, you know? And so the questions are going to be now about, like, the how does he prioritize these things? You know, my guess is that if he wins, he wants to win, like, as a two-way player, you know? Um, Last year um, at the All-Star Game, right, the one that was at Dodger Stadium, kind of in the pre – the day before – um, you know, uh, media availability thing, right? And players are just like sitting ducks there, by the way. It's great if you're a reporter. You just have a player just sitting at the table. He's like, you got him for like 45 minutes. You can't go anywhere. And um, so there, you know, I asked him about the Hall of Fame, you know, and his kind of wishes of getting into the Hall of Fame and stuff. And the one thing that he told me was like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I am mindful of it. That is why I came to the United States at 23 instead of 25. Right. Because had he waited two more years and come as a 25 year old, he's an unrestricted free agent. People were throwing around like a two hundred million dollar number. Um, you know, he signed for two million. So basically punted on two hundred million dollars to improve his chances of going into the Hall of Fame. So what that tells me is that he is legacy driven. Right. So, you know, now when you kind of throw all these things into like one thing. Right. And try to figure out, OK, how is he going to prioritize everything? And again, this is just me speculating because he hasn't said this himself. But my guess is, you know what, like what would be the greatest way for him to leave the greatest legacy possible? You know, you think of sports, you think of Michael Jordan or you think of sorry, the Chicago Bulls. What do you think of? You think of Michael Jordan. Uh, you think, you know, take soccer. You think of Napoli. You think of Maradona. Right. Mm-hmm. Napoli just won the Serie A title last year. It doesn't matter. You think about it on a first. Right. Mm-hmm. Where kind of that. And it's hard, I think, to do that in baseball. Right. Like so many. It's, been, it's a sport that's been around so long. There's so many great names, but it doesn't matter, you know, who's at the Yankees. You're never going to be bigger than the Yankees, you right. know. And in some way, the greatest like individual achievement, I think, would right would be if he could somehow take the Angels and take them to the World Series. Right. As like a two way guy. Um, right at that point, I think everybody would say, you know what, this is the greatest player of all time. Barry Bonds could have won a World Series by himself. I mean, right. they had Kent and stuff, right? It was actually a pretty decent team, but like even Barry Bonds couldn't win a World Series. So, like, if this guy can do it and he can do it with an organization like the Angels, you know? Uh, and again, I think that the two way thing is a big part of his priority. And so, like, we're almost in some ways kind of back to where we were six years ago. He's going to look for a place that is going to be as committed to this two-way project as he is. And to me, the issue isn't next year, right? It's not 24, assuming he has surgery, right? Because he's not going to pitch. The issue is in 25. And again, I'm going to go back to, you know, uh, the first surgery, right? He got, he, he blew out an 18, had an operation, doesn't pitch 19, comes back in 20 uh, that, in that COVID season. I think he pitched like two games and then just basically he didn't feel right. He shut it down for the year. So now, again, imagine 
this isn't if this if the recovery isn't necessarily going to be linear and it wasn't last time so let's just assume you know this is going to be a stop and go this is going to be you know two steps forward three steps back five steps forward two steps back and you're kind of not sure uh again let's say you you sign with a team like the dodgers um you know it could be kind of hard right i mean it's going to be all of a sudden now it's like hey we're competing for like a, a, a championship here you know, now all of a sudden we're going to have to like bump back every start of two days because you need to come in and do your thing. And it, look, and who knows, maybe the Dodgers are willing to accommodate them, right? Maybe all the pluses, you know, baseball doesn't have superstars anymore, you know, except for maybe him, right? Uh, De La Cruz, I guess, is maybe kind of getting to that point. But like, it's not, this isn't the NBA. This isn't the NFL. Maybe the Dodgers, right? The, the whole commercial appeal of the whole thing, they're willing to accommodate them, right? Or maybe... You know, in a lot of these cases, it's an ownership thing, right? If they're going to spend that much money. Maybe Mark Walter becomes obsessed with Otani and just, you know what, just make this work. Um, but, um, you know, even then, like, I don't think if you're Otani, how can you be sure of this, right? How can you be sure that somebody's going to, like, honor their word? And the one thing, too, is, like, you know, in the United States, I think, right, it's kind of a cultural thing. Unless, like, you just, like, like bold-faced lie, just, like, just say something that's just categorically untrue, it's not considered lying, right? Like, yeah. if you mislead somebody, but didn't technically lie, yeah, that's not considered a lie in our country, right? And keep in mind, like in most places, like that makes you a liar, you yes. know. And so, I think that like, well, Ty's been living here for six years; he's got to know the way our culture works. Like, how can you trust anybody here, right? There's one team that he knows will be committed to bringing him back as a two two way guy. That's the Angels because they've done it already; they'll do it again. You know, and what else is like, what else do they have to play for? Right. Um, so I just think that from that standpoint, again, if he wants to remain a two way guy, that is, you know, he knows that there's one team that will help him get back do everything in his power to get back to that point, And it's the team that he's been on. Well, well, there you have it. I mean, we are a Dodgers show. Uh, you answered my question. I was going to transition into this hearing you talk to me. It seems like. There's no way the Dodgers are going to assign Otani next year. Um, but you know that organization very well, Dylan. I mean, everything that you're telling me, the fact that he's so established now, you mentioned that three-year run of him doing it two ways. Could the Dodgers really get away with saying, hey, man, we, we don't want you to do this two-way. You're hurt. Just focus on the hitting. Or like you said now, is it just the fact that Otani is so dead set against this? And you're right. If he goes to the Dodgers, he's never going to be bigger than the Dodgers, right? So what are the yeah. chances? Because the Dodgers, we all know they don't have a problem signing injured pitchers. They have, they have no issue with that. What are the chances that the Dodgers could legitimately make a run at Otani? So I think, yeah, I think, I think they're going to try, right? Because let's, you know, I mean, Fultani's not pitching this year. He's still the MVP, right? I mean, yeah. he's probably still the best offensive player in the game. So you can yeah. use him, right? Um, and, you know, obviously, the, I've kind of described like two extreme scenarios, right? One where it's like one, right, they're going to accommodate you in every way possible, and the other where they don't. There is an in-between, right? There is a scenario, I would say, like, hey, like where they talk to him and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we think that if you make... Instead of 700 plate appearances a year, you do 600. And maybe we limit you to, we find a way to like limit you to 120 innings a year, right? And gradually ramp you up to pitch like in October. I mean, they could try to sell them on something like that. And again, and I don't know, it's hard for me to tell you, like, you know, will he accept that? I'm not sure. Maybe, right? Maybe getting hurt has made him realize like, hey, I'm not Superman here. You know, maybe this is the smart thing to do. Maybe they can convince him of that. I don't know, you know? Um, the one thing that I think he that is kind of like in you know the Dodgers' favor here is they do have a history, right? Before he signed with the Nippon Ham Fighters, it looked like he was going to sign with the Dodgers out of high school, you know, um, and uh, right, you know, then Nippon Ham basically came like, at that point. By the way, Otani had told um, teams in Japan, "Do not draft me because I am going to the United States." The Nippon Ham fighters ignore, and the draft in Japan is weird because everybody can, every team can pick to say the same guy if they want, right? And what happens if more than one team picks a guy, they have like a lottery, 
And, you know, so like you say, six, right, this happens all the time. Six, right. If there's like a really big prospect, six guys, six teams will draft like one player and then they have a drawing and one, one team ends up with them. So anyway, well, Tani told all the teams, do not draft me. Uh, Nippon Ham was the one team that did. And the way they kept them in Japan and convinced them not to come to the United States was they offered him the opportunity to play both ways. Um, right. So there is this kind of this history here. And you know what? He could say, you know, uh, Kuriyama, by the way, the uh, he was the manager of the Japan's WBC team and he was the Otani's manager at Nippon Ham, you know, and he was kind of talking about how, right, like they the way he sold this to Otani was like, hey, you, your dream is to be a star in the major leagues. This is going to be your shortcut there, actually. Right. Rather than, you know, riding buses and going to all these small towns and, you know, having to deal with like a language that you're not familiar with and all that. We can create this comfortable environment for you. You're playing like at a high level. You can learn how to do it both ways here. We'll control everything for you so that when you go over there, you, you right, and you can go there at a relatively young age, you'll be ready to do this at that level, right? This is a shortcut for you. So I do think what Otani could say theoretically is, hey, you know what? This was a team. The Dodgers were the team I was always going to sign with, right? This was my destiny, so to speak. And I've had to take a couple of detours on the way there. But eventually, I ended up where I was supposed to end up. Now, the other side of this is that I think Otani, the one thing, you know, and I, I visited, you know, in 2017 and his last year in Japan, I visited with his high school coach. So I went into like the Japanese countryside. He's from kind of like the Japanese equivalent of like Arkansas, right? And <laughs> I'm not making fun of it because my mom is from like a place like that, right? It's just like rice fields everywhere. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, his high school coach told me, you know, because at some point I very flippantly said, well, he's going to end up with the Dodgers or the Yankees, right? And the guy tells me, I don't think so, you know, because, uh, and again, one thing is that in, in Japan, high school baseball is the biggest thing that they got going, right? The National High School Baseball Tournament, it's a Super Bowl, and March Madness rolled into one, right? The tournament just ended right now, Koshien, you know, and a, kind of a well-known high school just won, so it's become like kind of a big deal. And it's the biggest story in the country. And so at the high school level, they're recruiting nationally. Right. And so the biggest teams tend to be right, the biggest, the, the powerhouse schools tend to be concentrated like in Osaka, Yokohama. He had the opportunity to go to a place like that. Yet he stayed in rural Iwate because he wanted to do something no one had done before, because no team from that region, that area of the country, like uh, Darvish actually kind of went to school somewhat nearby over there, like in that area, part of, kind of the northern part of the mainland. No team from that area has ever won Koshien before. And so Otani wanted to be the first, and that's why he stayed, right? So this is a guy, he said, you know, the guy told me, this is a guy who wants to do something that other people haven't done, right? And if you think back to it, when he told teams in Japan, hey, I'm going straight to the United States, no player had made the jump from Japanese high school to the United States before, right? When they convinced him to stay, it was because they offered him an opportunity to play both ways, which obviously no one had done before. When he was coming from Japan to here, uh, again, kind of cue all the goose, Japanese goose sausages, were saying like, hey, baseball over there is not going to be that easy. He should really just focus on one. Um, right. What did he do? He no, everybody. People think I can't do this. I'm going to show them, you know. And so there's a part of me that wonders. Right. Everybody. Because this is kind of unanimous, by the way. Right. And keep in mind like, that Japan has a history with the Dodgers, you know, going back to Nomo, obviously. Japan loves the Dodgers, right? It's a popular team. Um, there is this kind of feeling in the air. He's going to go to the Dodgers. Of course he's going to go to the Dodgers. He should go to the Dodgers. And because everybody's saying that, I kind of wonder if his contrarian nature might say, ah, you know what, I'm not going to do that just because everybody says I should. You know, and, and okay, this is, again, the reason why I wanted to talk to you about Otani. And it's like, for those of you who don't know, Dylan is half Japanese. So you can bring in the cultural aspects of what's going to be involved here. And you had mentioned this before. Has Otani become Americanized in the sense that he understands capitalism? Because what I think what your article brings out, which is very interesting to me, is how much money he has lost. How much money he lost at the beginning of his career? How much money possibly has he lost already now with this injury going into next year? Is there a possibility that Otani looks at his mortality now and starts to measure, starts weighing what's more important, how much longer I can do this 
or is this my last opportunity to make up all this money that I lost already? Does that matter to this dude? Or is this guy just really a unicorn in all aspects of life? Yeah, I'm, you know, like watching, having watched him now in this last month, you know, it's funny, right? Because you have these debates with people around baseball. And obviously, you know, people that are kind of work in and around Major League Baseball, mostly Americans, right? So they view things through like an American prism. And we've always kind of had, we've been debating this. I've been having debates with people all over the place about this, about how much does money matter to this guy? Now, my opinion previously was that, okay, there's going to be a, um, you know, a bar for entry. Say it's 500 million, 450 million, 500, whatever it is, right? There's going to be kind of a bar for entry. Um, you know, I would think that he's going to want the record, right, contract kind of for a prestige reason. It's not because he actually needs the money. Mm-hmm. But that once that bar has been cleared, right, so say there are eight teams that are willing to clear that bar, uh, I don't think the difference is, say, going to be between, okay, one team offered him $700 million and the other offered him 500 right? Even if it's, it's like a crazy difference, I don't think that's going to decide where he goes. I think he's going to decide, like, what kind of baseball player he wants to be and what kind of baseball environment and what kind of goals that he have. I don't think the money is going to make a difference there. Mm-hmm. At least that's what I thought for most of this year. Having watched him in the last couple of weeks, I'm now convinced that money does not mean anything to this guy whatsoever, <laughs> right? Like zero, like zero to the point where, you know, and again, like in, just so that you know where the other arguments are coming from, right? So Otani in the last year, especially this past off season, did a bunch of, um, you know, uh, right. He does, he's now endorses Hugo Boss and uh, I think maybe like Rolex, you know, or some kind of high-end watch, everything, right? And so he did like a bunch of like advertisements and some of the baseball people who I spoke to, obviously, right? People are always going to Japan and they're like, dude, he's like everywhere now, right? He's doing so many advertisements. Like, of course he loves money, right? He's just, it's just, you know, the thing is though about that, every brand that Otani endorses, it's a high-end brand, right? It's like the pinnacle of like whatever it is, like the fanciest clothes, the best watch, best car, best this, best that. Uh, so to me, it's just he wants to be associated with, you know, high-level brands because he himself is a high-level brand. I think, again, so I don't think this is about money. I think it's about prestige, right? So, you know, you do, but like, right? And yeah, so now the question again, how much does the money mean to him? If you watch him, I mean, the fact that he took the mound the day yeah. he got hurt tells me he does not care at all, right? And we saw this, you know, the Dodgers, obviously, the 21 playoffs, Scherzer. Yeah. This is the LCS. This is the yeah. LCS. And he's like, I, uh, something doesn't feel right. I'm not pitching. And the thing is, because it's in this kind of American capitalism environment, right, where like, you know, and I don't know if it's kosher to say this, but I really do believe this, like money is God in this country, right? It is the thing that people hold in the highest regard and everything. And so he didn't get dragged, right? I mean, if he had tried to pull that crap in Japan, he would have been raked over the coals. And now forget even about like going to Japan, right? There are even some guys, right? I'm convinced a thousand percent. Clayton Kershaw would have pitched that game. Kershaw's arm could have been like dangling by just like a literal string and he would have been out there and he might have given up six runs or whatever and then he would have stood in front of his locker and accepted blame for all that, you know. Now, you can argue, you know, again, because this is about values, right? And everybody's got different value system. And, you know, I think that the reason, right, you know, you can talk about Kershaw's October failures, whatever. Uh, You know, I'm guessing you guys as Dodger fans have a lot of respect and even like a lot of love for Kershaw because of the innings and the work and everything that he's put out there, you know what? Like he might've not always succeeded, but he gave us everything. Right. And so there is, he gets something that's not financial, right? Scherzer will never be loved like that. Right. But Scherzer just got $120 million. Kershaw's not going to get. And so it kind of becomes an issue of like, Hey, like what's, you know, but the fact that this kid, you know, keep in mind too, they were like, I think they were ready. Like, 10 and a half, 11 and a half, 12 and a half out of the wild card. I mean, they're done, right? Like, well, I mean, it's one thing if, like, you're in it. Like, I kind of right. get, right? This guy clearly doesn't care. Like, because he was just like, you know what? I'm going to exhaust every possibility. There's something so pure about this kid in a way, you know? And if anything, I feel kind of bad in that, like, now that I look back on it the last, like, few years, I've asked him, like, a lot of, like, semi-accusatory questions, right? In terms of, like, <laughs> 
Okay, I know you're saying you don't think about free agency, but come on, right? Like, obviously you are, right? That, that was the implication behind many of my questions to him. And now that I've seen this, I'm kind of wondering, like, man, you know what? Maybe he really is what he says he is, you know? Maybe he really, you know, because he, after like a tough loss or something, you know, he'll come out and split the cliches. And, you know, especially the Japanese reporters who cover him on a daily basis are really kind of frustrated by how little he says, you know? Mm -hmm. But he'll be like, hey, like, you know, I got to turn the page and be ready for tomorrow. And on one hand, it's a cliche. But you know what he actually does? He actually does turn the page and he shows up and he's ready to play tomorrow. You know, he plays hard. This is the one thing, again, over the last month, it's become really clear. This guy, you know, I don't know if you guys watch much Angels baseball at all, but this guy plays hard. Right. This guy plays hard every day. And you just have to watch him run the bases. You know, yeah. he could be down like three, four runs late in the game. No chance. Right. Nobody behind him in the lineup. He's on first base. He's taking off for second. He's trying to, right, if there's even a 1% chance of him, like, them making the playoffs, he's not going to, you know, and that's his joy. That's his freedom, you know, and I think to him, that's much more than any money. And, again, he he put his money in a way where his mouth was, right, and that, like, uh, anybody else, there's no way, right? I mean, we see guys in their walkers. They're going on DLs all the time. You know, I'm not going to name names here, but <laughs> look, at the tra- look at the transaction log. Right. Like it's to tell you the story. And this kid did not care. He had the biggest contract in the history of like North American sports at stake. He didn't care. Right. He wanted to go out there and pitch for the, you know, right. The angels who are basically out of playoff contention. So, you know, the, the funny thing about all this is we're sitting here talking about like, how much did this cost? And was it a hundred million, 200 million? He might not care. Yeah. Right. I'm at this point, I'm not even sure. You know, when I talked about there being a bar of entry, I don't even think there is a bar of entry anymore. It's going to be, again, about him and how he envisions his baseball career. I think he's going to prioritize that over anything. This is, again, this is why I love having you on the show. You, you're you not dumb, Dylan. I know you have a filter, but sometimes when I talk to you, I feel you don't have a filter. And you really, you, you tell me what you're really thinking. And I love that. Uh, Babyface, you, you have a question for, for Dylan. No, what what Dylan said right now that he said something interesting. He said how how he likes like the best of the best, right? He he promotes these brands. So do you think that in any way will fall in line with with baseball, like the Dodgers, right, or the Yankees, right? Like, is he going to be drawn to one of those teams? And something we've discussed also too is like, say if the Dodgers would win the World Series this year, right? And he sees that, like, would he would he take a step back and be like, do these guys really need me, right, to get them over that hump? Yeah, I think, again, I think that that is like a question, right? It's like, because, again, I think he's, it's about his legacy, you know, and his legacy as a baseball player. And you're right. Like, and I think, again, that's kind of one thing that's like, you know, the fact that now it's funny, though, right? With the Dodgers thing, it's like they they won one, one, and you kind of think of them, okay, the last decade, they're probably the best organization in baseball. Um, you know, one thing that might have kind of helped them is the fact that they didn't win, in 21, yeah. they, they fucked the pooch again last year. And <laughs> right, you look back now and all these things, now that it's kind of happened, it's kind of like slightly diminished that 2020 championship, right? At least in yeah. the, look, everybody was playing under those rules. I don't subscribe to that, but I'm just saying that like publicly, I think that there's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, that wasn't like a real thing or whatever, right? And so the fact that they're kind of struggling, having trouble getting over that hump, I do think would kind of be like an appeal to, Otani, right? And that, like, okay, I was the guy that kind of came in here. Um, you know, but something else to kind of keep in mind, too, though, is the fact that, like, in Japan, there aren't many trades, right? Player movement within, like, the NPB is, like, relatively rare, right? And, like, even, I think to become, like, an unrestricted free agent, like, in Japan, it takes, like, nine years or something. I mean, like, your career is almost over at that point, you know? Like, there isn't a ton of movement, and if you do get traded, it's kind of, like, almost like they gave up on you, Um you know, and there might be kind of this, and again, I it's it's hard to tell because he doesn't talk, right? Um, you know, I do think, like, you know, kind of using those Jordan and Maradona examples, you know, kind of the right the the thing that would be most prestigious would be for him to win with the Angels. I do wonder part of him that it's just kind of like, you know what, like, because th- this is another thing about in Japan, right? Is that it's not so much about the destination as it is the, about the journey, 
you know, I remember years ago when uh, Kuroda, Hiroki Kuroda was with the Dodgers and he started going year to year. Right. And I think like in the last year, there was a one point, like, I think they were going to trade him to Detroit. Ned Coletti had worked out a deal to send him to the Tigers, but Kuroda had a no trade clause. And he said, no, <laughs> you know, and like Ned was furious, of course, afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing from Kuroda's standpoint, it's like, you know, it's not the same as being a rent winning as a rental guy. Right. Yeah. You're, you didn't get the full experience. He goes like, I want to go to camp with a team and I'll play April and May and June and be part of a team for a whole year and then win. Right. And, you know, I do think a lot of times, you know, you're right. You talk about people being pro right. Like, you know, Friedman loves to talk about process oriented. A lot of people do. Right. They're process oriented. Dude, you have no idea. Anyone, you know, any American who says that, like, trust me, you're not process oriented. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about because Japan is very process oriented. They're so process oriented that sometimes they forget about like what the point of the whole fucking thing is, which is to win, <laughs> right? Like, you know, they're going to go out there and take their perfect swing like every time and kind of like sometimes they kind of forget to like adjust to, right? And, you know, and you kind of wonder, I, I do, I have wondered, honestly, does that kind of handicap them in competition sometimes? Now, I do think guys like Ichiro, Otani, these guys are like geniuses, right? Because they can break yeah. through even that, right? And they're they're willing to like adapt and stuff. Um, but yeah, like in terms of like him getting kind of like, you know, I, I do think he's just like a remarkable athlete in terms, like especially like mentally, right? I mean, you know, I, I know like Phil Nevin a couple of times has called him like mentally the toughest athlete he's been around. Um, to me, you know, at first I used to kind of think, eh, you know, he's just saying that because he has to, whatever. Again, they're trying to resign him. But like, I really think that's true. I think he's exceptional. You know, again, because all those cliches, you know, right, that, you, you know, one pitch at a time and all whatever stuff. Right. And you always kind of roll your eyes. But the truth is that the most successful guys do live that. And I think Otani lives it to a degree that nobody else does, you know. And so kind of like with that Dodger question. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Right. Because, again, they, you know, there is history there. <laughs> you know, granted, the, the front office, everybody, nobody who was part of the organization back when they were recruiting him out of high school is still there. I don't think. Um, you know, but uh, I think, you know, part of it at the same time, too, is like, well, he's going to be kind of going into a situation that's already kind of right. They're on the doorstep of the championship already. Is it quite the same as, you know, again, in Japan, like with Nippon Ham, he went from they went from like being a really bad team to champions. Right. He got to live the entire arc. Now, again, he's 30 now. Right. He's going to, he's going to be 30. So he's got to consider that he's running out of time. You know, so I think that there are all these you know, things that he's going to kind of have to factor in. And yeah, you know, I think all those things could work in the Dodgers favor. I think some of the stuff could work against them. And ultimately I think it's going to come down to, he's pretty, you know, when you kind of look at his, like, you know, his objectives and stuff, they usually tend to be pretty simple, right? I want to do something no one else has done before. And so I think, you know, again, he's going to have to take all those variables and kind of put it together and, you know, how he comes out with it. I don't, I don't know, you know, um, I'll say this. He's a very, very smart kid. Uh, I very rarely say this about baseball players that like, I think the guy's smarter than I am. Uh, I think this guy might really be smarter than me, like legitimately, you know, his, his high school coach told me that he was like the second or third ranked student in his graduating class in Japan. You know, his diction is pretty crazy, by the way. You know? The whole thing is just so, you know, he's coming from such, you know, and when I watch him really, you know, and again, like my impression of him this month, it's like, he's that high school player you know, at the Koshian tournament, right? And you hear these horror stories, right? You know, kid threw 1,200 pitches in a week, you know? Wow. Like, Otani would do that, right? He would totally do it. He would welcome doing it. You know, I, it was funny. And uh, so I went to go visit him, in, or, right, I went to go see him in Japan in 17. That's when I visited his high school. Um, I went back in 2019. Uh, David Wharton and I went to Japan because, right, it was a year before the Tokyo Olympics. So we basically went to go report on like, where are they in their preparations, whatever. We were supposed to make contacts over there and stuff. And um, so the day that we got there, the day we flew in, uh, Roki Sasaki was supposed to be pitching in high school, right? The kid, he pits in the WBC, the kid that sits at 100. And he's also from the same area that Otani's from, you know. And a friend of mine who was covering that calls me and says, like, hey, like, we got, you know, the you know, game got rained out today. He's pitching tomorrow. Do you have anything going on? And I'm like, no, actually, it's the one day on our schedule that we're open. He's like, take the bullet train up here. I'll pick you up at the train station. You can go. We can go watch Roki, you know. 
So I took the three-hour train ride. It just so happened that the stadium that the game was being played, it was kind of like this public, you know, municipal stadium type thing, was on kind of the same lot of land that Otani's high school is at. So I'm there. I'm back at the high school. And I figure, like, let me go say hi to the coach, right? So I go sit there. It's a couple hours before the game still. I go sit there, and he's well, he's hitting grounders to his team. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, when when he's when he takes a breather, you know, I'll go say hi, right? Fucker hit grounders for like two hours straight, man. Like <laughs> he never he never finished. I think at some point he like looked in my general direction. You know, the guy that I was with, the reporter that I was with told me, like, hey, I think he nodded at you, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I never got to find out because by the time, by the, you know, at some point I had to go watch the soggy pitch. And this guy was still hitting, you know, so it's, again, it's just like the, the thing is over there, it's just kind of, again, it's a baseball and sports are like spiritual exercises, right? It's to test your, you know, and that doesn't necessarily, right? I mean, sometimes you push yourself past the point of exhaustion. It's not. You know, and we know enough now to know that's not necessarily always the smartest thing to do. But I think that there is a lot of that, you know, in Otani, right? I mean, he has been pushing himself for the last month. It's been obvious, like, why is he playing so hard, right? He's giving everything. And to me, really, you know, he's that, you know, he's that high school kid with like a dream. And, you know, that's really it, right? It's not not about the money and all that other stuff. I really think that he's just uh a kid who has goals and is just trying to strive for them. Uh, Dylan, I know you don't want to mention names, but before we segue to the Dodgers, I have a couple of questions with you about the Dodgers, but okay. you didn't want to mention names, but what the <laughs> hell is going on with Anthony Rendon uh, down in Anaheim? Uh, Sam Bloom uh, was saying something the other day. I was like, I'm not even going to repeat the stuff that Rendon was saying in front of his locker. I know in your article, you had mentioned they could just release him. This is a dude who said he didn't want to sign with the Dodgers. It sounds like the Dodgers dodged a bullet um, because of the Hollywood lifestyle. But he sounds like a diva down there. What What's going on with Anthony Rendon? Yeah, you know, I mean, right, the the surface level thing is, I mean, he's just hurt. You know, he yeah. can't stay healthy. Um, and, right, the, right, just, I mean, he's just an asshole, I guess, right? It's kind of the easiest <laughs> You know, if you want to dig a little deeper into kind of the psyche behind it, right, I would, you know, because he has always kind of had this, like, too cool for school type thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, I, this is just my opinion, right? I haven't talked to him about this. I don't really know him like that. But, like, I don't think you become that good at anything if you're not, like, dedicated to it, right? And, you know, you, right, there are always people like that. You knew them at school, like, right? They study like crazy. Oh, I didn't study at all. You know, they yeah. want to, right? I kind of have a feeling that that's kind of what's going on with them, right? Is that that this actually means more to him than, like, a lot more to him than he's letting on. That he's actually having a lot of trouble kind of dealing with this whole thing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's unfortunate, right, in a lot of cases is that, like, these guys kind of, they're not really aware of how this comes across publicly, you know? Because do you really want like the public to have like that great of a misconception about you, you know? Yeah. And cause you'll see like a lot of times with these guys, you know, that like they retire and you get to know them and it's like, yeah, actually that guy wasn't that, you know, bad of a guy. Yeah. And like, look, and I kind of get it. Okay. Because the pressure of professional sports, right. It's, I don't think it's a good job, you know? Right. My son's 10 years old. Look, he's my kid. I'm sure genetically there are limitations there anyway. But <laughs> Like any kid, he's dreaming, right? And I was just telling him, look, this isn't a good job, man. Like the average career is like what, like four years, you know? <laughs> um, you know, you make it. Let's just say, you know, because you all, everybody looks at like Kershaw. It's like, oh, the guy played like twenty years, whatever, made so much money, right? Like how great, whatever. Most guys, I like, show up, they're on the right. They don't know if they're on the roster, even the established guys, right? Some guys yeah. in double A, everybody's talking about them. Dude's coming to take your job, like, you know, and there's a lot of pressure there, right? And I think we see people deal with this pressure, like in various kinds of ways, right? I, you know, my kind of like rule of thumb when I was the Dodgers beat guy was always, if I ran into a guy at night more than one time, he's not going to make it. And usually <laughs> that held true, right? Because, right, but like, 
again, I understand that too because it's like, hey, look, I'm getting like you know ma- making major league money, getting a major league like you know per diem, and I'm on the road. I'm staying in a nice hotel. Like, let me live this. Like, I don't know how long this is gonna last because I really don't know how good I am. Let me just like live it up because this could disappear tomorrow, right? Now, in some ways, you're kind of giving up already at that point, right? Because like, okay, I don't know. I don't. I'm not really sure. Even if I give everything, I might not be able to stick around, right? And so yeah. I might as well enjoy it. You know what I mean? And so like, people deal with this pressure in various ways. I look at Rendon, and to me, it's just like a guy who just can't quite get himself to just say the truth, which is like, look, this is really bothering me, right? I have pride, right? Whatever it is. Okay, maybe you know, I heard he was like a, he's like a really he was a really good high school basketball player, you know, right? He's just overall great athlete, I guess. And like, hey, maybe this wasn't my favorite sport, whatever. But I, as a professional, take pride in being able to, right, post every day and be doing these things, and I just can't, you know. Um, I think would actually go like a long way into like you know just making fans feel better better about the situation. Um, you know, and again, unfortunately for him, like, you know, because I think, again, there's always, there's insecurity, you know, and I think, you know, a guy like that, especially, right, who's always performed like at a really high level, he probably thinks, well, why do people, why did people ever like me in the first place? It was because I was good. Well, now I'm not good. And if I say the truth, how about if they like reject me still? Then I've just like opened my, right, I've just like slipped my wrist in front of everybody and for no reason, and they still hate me, you know? And I think that, like, again, because we forget, too, right? These are, these are like, still, like, relatively young men, you know? Yeah. I have a decade on Anthony Rendon, you know? And I don't think, like, I'm that old, right? <laughs> but, like, right, so kind of like in the big scheme of things, as human beings, you know, as, as an athlete, he might be at the tail end of things. But kind of in the, in the big picture, these are still young people that are still kind of learning how to kind of process all these things. And, like, you know, again, a lot of these, in Rendon's case, he went to college, you know? Um, right. So he's been somewhat like socialized, I guess. But like, you know, with a lot of these guys, um, you know, you get drafted at 18 and you're put in with a bunch of other people in that similar situation. And, you know, those are the only the majority of human contact you have. And then we kind of sit here wondering, like, yeah, like, why isn't he more enlightened? You know, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> look at the surroundings. Right. So, um, yeah, to me, that's just kind of I'm guessing, you know, um, you know, down the road at some point, right? Maybe in retirement or something, he'll talk and our view on this will be different. But yeah, he's definitely not handling this the best way possible. If I was, you know, his personal PR person, I would definitely try to encourage him to, you know, uh, not be like a dick to the media just because that doesn't really like help. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bleed Lows podcast. You have sido su servidor Juan Ramirez de parte de mi colega Babyface. Nos vemos para la próxima. This episode of the Bleed Lows podcast has been brought to you by betonline.ag, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.